We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. A reading from Mark, chapter 1, verse 40 to 45. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your word and for the way that it interrupts the inner monologue that goes in our heads and our hearts as we come to church this morning. Lord, our The worries of the world are upon us, and Lord, you interrupt all of that uh, to say that we need to pay attention to you. And so, God, we pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way this morning, that we would hear your voice, and that we would find it to be more real uh, than all the things that occupy our hearts and minds this morning, that we would see the answers to the questions that we are asking, Lord, that, that we would see, see the freedom that all of us are seeking, that we would find the significance that we all long for as you speak to us as a God who created us, who loves us, who knows us fully and completely, and who invites us to come near. And so, God, we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. That's much better. Thank you. Uh, Makes me feel good. (laughs) I'm Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are starting a new sermon series today. It's a Lenten sermon series. Brent mentioned this past Wednesday was the first day of Lent, and Lent is a 40-day season of preparation for Easter. And so for the next six Sundays, we're going to be looking at the meaning of Lent, and we're going to do it through the lens of following Jesus. Lent, in its essence, when you, you might think, when you hear the word Lent, you might think of things that you need to give up. You might think of being miserable. Um, but really what Lent is about 
is it's about following Jesus. It's about letting Jesus change you into the person that he wants you to be. It's about all the things, not that you give up, but all the things that you gain. And following Jesus is sometimes hard because it means following the way of the cross. And following Jesus can sometimes feel like a death, but we prepare for Easter in Lent by reflecting on how this way of life that feels like death always leads to resurrection. It always leads to Easter. So we're going to start this morning by looking at what it means, what it looks like to follow Jesus with our shame. Uh, There's this great chapter about guilt in the book Feeling Jewish by Deborah Baum. And she starts the chapter this way. I feel guilty about everything. Already today, I felt guilty about having said the wrong thing to a friend. Then I felt guilty about avoiding that friend because of the wrong things I said. Plus, I haven't called my mother yet today. Guilty. And I really should have organized something special for my husband's birthday. Guilty. I gave the wrong kind of food to my child. Guilty. I've been cutting corners at work lately. Guilty. I skipped breakfast. Guilty. I snacked instead, double guilty. I'm taking up all this space in a world with not enough space in it. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And then she says, nor am I feeling good about feeling this bad. (laughs) Not when sophisticated friends never fail to remind me how self-involved, self-aggrandizing, politically conservative and morally stunted the guilty are. Poor me. Guilty about guilty. Uh, it's it's, it's a funny. It's supposed to be funny. And so if you've laughed, you know, that's, that, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, and it's funny because we all know what it feels like to be guilty and to be riddled with guilt and be, to, to, to be unable of shaking our guilt. Whether you believe in God or not, every single one of us in this room struggles with guilt. And what Deborah Baum is describing here is actually not guilt. It's actually shame. Because shame is, is guilt is, is I did something wrong. Brene Brown, uh, uh, Brene, Brene Brown, is that her name? I'm getting, I'm, Brene Brown, that's right. I, Deborah Baum, Brene Brown, they sound similar. Brene Brown, who's a shame researcher, she puts it this way. She says that guilt is, guilt says I did something wrong. I did something bad. Shame says I am bad. And so what Baum is describing when she says that she feels guilty about feeling guilty is this feeling that there's something wrong with me. I didn't just do something bad, but I am bad. Uh, Later in that same chapter, she ends the chapter with this. She says, if religion often gets the blame for framing man as a sinner, the secular effort to release man from his guilt hasn't offered much relief. What she's saying is, we have this sense, every single one of us, we have this sense that there is something wrong with us. And it's more than guilt, it's shame. A sense that we are not enough. And we can't put our finger on it because if it's not from God, a God that we don't believe exists, then where does it come from? What do we do with it? And how do we get rid of it? Well, Jesus shows us in this passage, in this encounter with a leper, and 
There is no one who struggled more with shame than a first century leper. So as we break down this story, Jesus is going to teach us what it looks like not only to follow him with our shame, but how to give up our shame to him. Wouldn't you like to give up shame for Lent? Wouldn't that be wonderful if you could do that? Well, Jesus is going to show you how. And we're going to look at three things as we break down this story. Number one, we're going to look at the leper's shame. Number two, we're going to look at the leper's request. And number three, we're going to look at the Savior's touch. So let's start with the leper's shame. Uh, This passage introduces us to an anonymous leper. We don't know the leper's name. We don't know anything about the leper. We don't know if he had family. We don't know how old he is. We don't know how long he's been a leper. All we know is that he is a man with leprosy. And that's all anyone in the first century needed to know about him. He was a leper, which meant that everybody should stay away. Now, we don't know exactly what disease he had. Uh, Today, the modern-day leprosy is Hansen's disease. It's a a disease that that, uh, it's very serious, and it's through different types of nerve damage. You're numb, and you could could damage your your extremities. We don't know if that's the type of leprosy this man had. There was actually 72 distinct skin diseases that could be considered leprosy in the Bible. Uh, And if you want to read about them, you can look at Leviticus chapter 13 through 14. Um, Nevertheless, leprosy in all its form, all 72 forms in the Bible produced immense shame. Lepers were required to wear torn mourning clothes. They were forbidden from combing their hair. Uh, They had to cover their faces with linen. Basically, people considered lepers to be the walking dead. And so they had to walk around in mourning clothes as if they were already grieving their own funeral. It gets worse. Lepers were not only forced to look miserable, they actually were not allowed around other people. When Israel was in the wilderness, lepers could not come into the camp. Uh, Once Israel settled in the promised land, they could not enter walled cities. Uh, They were not allowed inside the places of worship, the tabernacle, or later the temple. And whenever a leper got close to someone, they had to yell out, unclean, unclean, to give people fair warning. By the first century, rabbis taught that if a leper stuck his head inside a building, that entire building would become unclean. It was illegal to greet a leper. Lepers had to remain a hundred cubits from other people if they were upwind and four cubits away if they were downwind. So leprosy was more than just a health condition, a bad health condition. Leprosy was a mark of shame that completely isolated you from other people. Imagine if it were just a health condition. Imagine how different the life of lepers might have been if they could actually cover their leprosy up. What if they could walk around the country incognito? What if no one knew that they were lepers? Well, they would be sick, but they would not be filled with shame. See, the shame that lepers felt didn't actually come from their leprosy. It came from having their leprosy exposed. They lived in shame 
because their leprosy was out there for everyone to see. Have you ever felt exposed? Maybe it was a time that you got caught in a lie. Maybe some of you feel exposed every time you speak English. Um, that's the way I felt when I first came to this country. Believe it or not, I did not speak a word of English growing up. And it wasn't until kindergarten that I started to learn how to speak English. And every time I opened my mouth, I felt so much shame. Maybe, maybe it was the time you expressed interest in someone and they didn't reciprocate. Maybe it was that time that you got into co the college of your choice or the career of your choice and you felt like an imposter. Have you felt exposed? Shame is a powerful thing. We all have shame. There is actually a leper living inside of every single one of us. And what we try to do, we try to do what the leper couldn't do, the leper in this story. We try to hide the leper. We're afraid that if people really knew us, they wouldn't like us. They certainly wouldn't love us. We believe the only way that we'll be accepted, the only way that we will be loved, the only way we'll be respected is if we can hide our inner leper. But it doesn't work. People see through us. Our leprosy leaks out. A few years ago, Jodie Foster gave this interview in the New York Times, and the title of the interview was Jodie Foster is Still Afraid of Failure. Keep in mind, Jodie Foster has won two Academy Awards. Uh, she's incredibly accomplished, incredibly talented, uh, incredibly successful, and she starts out this interview talking about how she's fascinated by uh, characters that struggle with failure. And the interviewer asks her, do you, cons do you struggle with failure? And Jodie Foster says, oh yeah. Oh my God, yeah. If Mother Teresa is propelled to do good works because she believes in God, I am propelled to do good works because of how bad I feel about myself. You hear what she's saying? She's saying, I feel bad. There is something wrong with me. There's, uh, some, some, in some way, I am not measuring up. I can't put my finger on it, but I have to do good because I need to hide that. I feel bad about myself. The only way that I can cope with that feeling is to do better. All of us, all of us do this. We try to cover up the inner leper by doing good. Some of us work too hard. To call us hardworking would be an understatement. We can't turn it off. We can't bear the thought of failure or missing something or being unprepared in some aspect of our work. Some of us can't say no to people. Uh, we're afraid to let people down. Some, some of us can't say yes to people. We're afraid of letting people burden us. Some of us are intensely private and we do not let anybody know anything about us. Some of us overshare. Some of us get angry. Some of us get sad. We think we're hiding the inner leper. But anyone who knows us well, when we go to our place of good works to cover up the inner leper, all they hear us doing is yelling, unclean, unclean. I need to do this because there's something not right about me. So what do you do? 
What do you do when your shame is exposed? Do you get defensive? Do you withdraw? Or do you go to Jesus? This brings us to the second part of this passage, the leper's request. The leper didn't have the option of hiding his leprosy. He lived in a society where he was forced to put his leprosy on full display every single place that he went. But he could hide himself, which is what most lepers did. Uh, Lepers lived in the wilderness sometimes. They lived by themselves. Sometimes they lived with one another. But when this leper heard about Jesus, he couldn't continue hiding. The Bible says that he went to see Jesus. He went into the town. He went to a place where he was unwanted. Think of how the people must have scattered as soon as they heard him yelling, unclean, unclean. Think of how the children must have stared at him with horror in their faces as he passed by. But he went. He went anyway because he needed to see Jesus. When he finally got to Jesus, the Bible tells us that he fell to his knees and he started begging. In the original Greek of the New Testament, it actually says that he continued to beg. So this was not just one sentence. It was a sentence that he uh, repeated over and over again. If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. We don't know how long he said this, but he did it long enough for the Bible to say that he begged continually. Why did the leper put himself through all of this? Why put himself through all this humiliation? Being a leper was bad enough. Why go into town? Why fall on his knees? Why beg over and over and over again? The obvious answer is that he wanted to be healed. But notice the beggar does not ask Jesus for healing. He asks Jesus to make him clean. The leper is saying, that his brokenness ran deeper than his disease. Leprosy was just a symbol of a deeper brokenness, the brokenness that came from sin and death and alienation from God. See, lepers were not just sick, they were unclean. And so the leper, as he went to Jesus, he was owning his shame. He was saying, Jesus, I have unbearable shame, I'm unclean, make me clean. If you are willing, you can do it. The paradox of Christianity is that you are nearest to God when you feel the most unworthy. And you might think, that doesn't make sense. Like if you have shame, the last thing you should do is think about your unworthiness. But over and over again in the Bible, it's the people who own their unworthiness, own their uncleanness. These are the people who receive cleansing. Because the way that God's grace works, the way that the gospel works, is that God does not come to show favor and cleaning and his presence and his goodness on people who can clean themselves up. It's not for people who have something to hang their hat on. It's people who could say, I'm not perfect, but at least I do this. 
It's the people who are most in tune with their unworthiness who get God's favor. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us. Hear that? Purify us from all unrighteousness. You cannot be purified from an unrighteousness that you pretend you don't have. But when you own it and you take it to Jesus, he will purify you. He will make you clean. So here's the question. Where does your shame come from? Does your shame come just from your circumstances? Is it because people do not give you a fair break Or does it come from your sin? If you think that your shame comes only from your circumstances, you'll ask God to fix your life, but no matter how much better your life gets, your shame will haunt you. You'll never be able to shake it. You'll always be finding things to cover it up. But if you confess that your shame comes from your sin and that you deserve God's judgment, then you can receive God's grace. A few years back, I was complaining to an older pastor, mentor that I talked to regularly about uh, some unfair criticism that I was receiving. And uh, this pastor is an incredible, incredibly empathetic person, so I was really looking forward to getting some empathy, some sympathy. I was looking forward to him telling me that, that they were so wrong. It was so unfair for people to say things like that about me. But uh, what he actually said is, it's a good thing they don't know the half of it, Dave you're a lot worse than they think you are. And you know, the thing is, he was right. You know, the leper's problem was deeper than leprosy. My problem is deeper than the criticism or whatever people think about me. My problem, my biggest problem is that I'm a, is my sin. And I'm a deeply broken person. But the good news, the gospel, is that that is not the end of the story. I'm worse than I think I am, but that's not all. I'm also loved. I'm also forgiven. I'm also accepted. I've also been purified and justified, and I'm being sanctified. And here's the gospel. You're worse than you think you are, but in Jesus, you are more loved than you ever dreamed that you could possibly be. Lent, among other things, is a season of self-examination. And that sounds miserable, Like, why would you want to spend extra time examining yourself, examining your guilt, examining your shame? But if you understand that the more unworthy you are, the closer you are to Jesus, then self-examination is not a way to wallow in guilt, but a way to arrive in God's unconditional love and favor. We examine ourselves to name the ways that we are unclean, to name the ways that we need forgiveness, to name the ways that we need to be cleansed, to name the ways that we are worse than anyone realizes we actually are, so that we can name the ways that we are loved, name the ways that we are forgiven, name the ways that we are accepted, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. And we do this so that we can take hold of Jesus, or to put it more accurately, so that he can take hold of us. 
This brings us to the last part of today's passage, the Savior's touch. When Jesus heard the leper begging over and over again for mercy, three things happened. He was filled with compassion. He touched him. And he said, I am willing, be clean. And the order of those three things is very important. The first thing that happened was that Jesus was filled with compassion. And that's not the way that people normally felt in the presence of a leper. Maybe they felt that way from a distance, but when a leper was right at your feet, what people felt was panic. But Jesus didn't feel panic. He was filled with compassion. He was filled with love. And what he does next is he touches the leper. How long had it been since this leper had been touched? We don't know. But we know it had to be too long. Maybe it was months, maybe it was years, maybe it was decades. The leper was at his feet. There was some distance between the leper and Jesus, so Jesus closed the gap and touched him. And in the original Greek, it actually says that Jesus didn't just touch him, but he grasped him. So this was an accidental or incidental contact. Jesus reached down and firmly took hold of the leper in a way that the leper could not mistake this as an accident. The leper knew that Jesus wanted to touch him, that Jesus meant to touch him. And here's where the order is so important, because Jesus touched him before he said, be clean. Jesus touched the leper before the leper was cured. Jesus made sure to touch him first, then heal him. Jesus wanted to touch the leper while he was still unclean, while he was still broken, while he was still filled with shame and fear. He wanted the leper to know that he loved him just as much when he was a leper as he would after he had been healed. See, Jesus doesn't just forgive our sin. He touches it. He lets our sin contaminate him. He gets dirty. Have you ever used a magic eraser? Those things are amazing. There are these little sponges, dense foam sponges with some kind of chemical compound in it that lets you clean just about anything. It's like magic. You can clean your oven, you can clean all the grease stains, you can clean your sneakers, you can clean all sorts of stuff with these magic erasers. And if you've ever used one, it's, 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 it's magical because whatever you're cleaning becomes spotless, it, it becomes like new, but when you look at the magic eraser, it becomes filthy. Right? It's not the eraser itself. It was what was pristine, but now it's, it's, it's filthy. And this is what happens when Jesus touches our shame. Jesus, Jesus not only draws near and tells us that he loves us in our shame, he takes our shame, and the way that he does it is by putting it on himself. One of the interesting things about this passage is that Jesus tells the leper to go to the priests and make sacrifices so that he, for purification, but did you know that that's what Jesus was supposed to do too, according to Leviticus? Because he had touched a leper, Jesus was also supposed to go to a temple, offer sacrifices, receive purification from a priest, but he didn't do that. Why not? Because Jesus is a sacrifice. He is a sacrifice that makes us clean. 
He is the sacrifice that bears our guilt, who bears our shame. And this is vividly portrayed on the cross. In John chapter 19, the soldiers split up Jesus' clothes before they crucified him. And the most valuable article of clothing that Jesus had was his tunic, which was this long inner robe that functioned as Jesus' underwear. They didn't want to tear the tunic into four parts because it was too valuable to do that, so they gambled for it. That means that when Jesus was crucified, he was, didn't have his underwear. He was absolutely naked. He not only experienced the horrific shame of torture and pain and spiritual emptiness, he bore the burden of horrific public nakedness, public shame. There was nowhere from him to hide. He was nailed to a cross. I think about this for a moment. What did Jesus have to be ashamed of? He is the perfect human being. He spent his entire life serving his Father in heaven, giving himself to the poor and to the marginalized, healing the sick, making place for outcasts, He was the most selfless human being to ever live. He was perfect. What did Jesus have to be ashamed of? Nothing. The shame he was carrying was not his own. It was the shame of sinners like this leper. It was the shame of sinners like you, sinners like me. As he hung naked on that cross, Jesus was saying, all your shame, it doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to me. You are clean because I have, I have become filthy for you. And when you believe this, it changes everything. You will be able to, to be hopefully hopeful and realistic about yourself, about other people, and about your city. It's hard to, 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 to be both hopeful and realistic. If you're realistic about how messed up you are, how messed up other people are, how messed up your city is, it's easy to become cynical. But when you've been touched by the Savior, when you have seen him take your deepest shame when you know that he has made you clean, then you can look at yourself, you can look at people in your life who are difficult to live with, difficult to be around, you can look at the hardest things that happen in our city, and you can pray, God, if you are willing, you can make all of this clean. I believe you. I trust you. I need you. That's what this table represents. This table is a declaration that you are one with Jesus. Your shame, your sin, your guilt now belongs to Jesus if you've put your faith in him. And if you haven't, today can be the day. 
And Brent and I would love to talk to you after this worship service because there is a God in heaven who understands why you feel the way that you do and he wants you to give up your shame for Lent. And that's not all. He not only takes your shame, he gives you his perfect righteousness. He makes you pristine. He makes you clean. It's the great exchange. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat of it, all of you, in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, no one could have asked of you what you were willing to give. And so we praise you, Lord that you're willing to give up your son. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are willing to bear our shame and our sin and our brokenness. And because you are a faithful savior, Lord, we can give up all of our shame to you. And we can be hopeful about ourselves, about our broken relationships. We can be hopeful about our city. And so God, we pray that we would that you would give us the faith as we take hold of this bread and take hold of this cup, that you would strengthen our faith, that we would lay our shame at your feet and be unencumbered to love you, to love one another, and to love our city boldly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.